So we are in this series called Revealed, and we've at the beginning of Mark, just going through the way that Mark writes. He writes these short stories, one quick after another. And so he uses this first chapter of his gospel to look into the life of Jesus. And notice that Mark doesn't start in the manger. Matthew and Luke want to establish Jesus. They want to talk about his roots. They want to talk about where he's come from. Matthew is talking to the Jewish community, and he's talking to look at the lineage, look at the genealogy. Those are important things to see coming through the life of Jesus because we want to plant him now here firmly as the prophet that was uh, called to that. And Luke, on the other hand, is writing to the Greeks, and he wants to establish the authority of Jesus in the lives of the Gentiles and say, yes, he is the one. We have seen all of these things, and we saw the message from the shepherds, and he has uh, this place that he was born. Um, Now, the great thing about Luke's gospel is Luke could have embellished it and said he came with the angels. This is how he was born. But the word that came to Luke was, he is a tiny babe in a manger. Mark doesn't do that. Mark's a rebel when it comes to writing his gospel. Mark believes that we don't need to start in the manger because Jesus has established his authority through what? His teaching, through his life, by who he is. And so we've been sort of looking at those little vignettes each week, those little short stories of Jesus and the calling of his disciples and knowing who he is already without even having spoken. And last week we talked uh, about Mark and Jesus' calling of his disciples, the fishermen that were in the boat, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. And we decided that following Jesus really does involve a fundamental shift in our sense of self and purpose. That if we are going to follow Jesus, that we're not just going to lose our jobs, we're not just going to lose our friends and family, we're going to lose our lives as well. We're going to become something completely different. The word there was not, I'm going to make you fish for people you are going to become fishers of people. It's a life transformation that Jesus brings. And so we're just going to continue on in those same things. The very same place we left off last week, we're going to pick up. So we stopped at verse 20. We're going to start at verse 21. And this is the start of the three, the big three stories in Mark 1 that are really revealing Jesus in his first ministry and the things that he's starting to do. We've called the disciples. People have seen him. But now we're going to start revealing ourselves. And the interesting thing about this story, we'll, we'll see about interesting things in this. This is a very interesting story. But one of the interesting things is who Jesus chooses to reveal himself to first. The, the, the thing, I don't want to give too much away because I know you haven't read this before. The thing that declares who Jesus is is not what we would expect. So let's read it. I've built it up enough in your minds now, so you're going to be hugely disappointed when we go through it. But this is Mark 1, verses 21 through 28. It says, when they went to Capernaum, And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. 
The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. The news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The people can see Jesus as a teacher. They see him in the synagogue teaching. But he's unlike the teachers that they're used to. He's unlike those who are there already. Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts his ministry. And he comes in with a shriek. I had to be really careful not to call this with a shriek. I wanted to so bad. But it is with a, sh a shriek. But it's so different than the method of those other teachers. In the first century Judaism, religious authority was primarily vested in the scribes and the Pharisees, who were experts in the Torah, that book of Jewish law. And if you had a question, if you had an idea, you would go to someone who had the knowledge, someone who had studied the Torah, someone who, who would be able to point you in the right direction. I have lots of questions about my life, and I have lots of questions about my neighbor's donkey. I have a lot of questions about uh, clothes of two different um, types of, of fabric. So we go to the religious leaders. Here's how you honor God. Here's how you honor those around you by doing these things. But the teachers of their law derived all of their authority from their interpretation of the scriptures and their adherence to the tra traditions of the people that had come before them. And so it was not up to them. It was in their interpretation, I read the law, I studied the law, here's my interpretation of it. Here's what the elders that have come before us have believed. And so all of those things are passed down and passed down and passed down. And pretty soon we get to a place where nobody is really interpreting the law. Nobody's really reading the Bible. No one's really reading the scriptures. All we're doing is we're reading our ancestors. All we're doing is reading who came before us. And we head to our churches with our heads down and we don't want to make a big fuss with our religious teachers. And so we just open our Bibles and then someone tells us what that's supposed to mean. And we accept it. We accept it because that's the tradition. That's what's happened. And we don't question those things. Their teaching style often involved quoting esteemed rabbis and interpreting the Torah through the lens of these accumulated traditions. And so what do we get instead of a religion that's stuffy and old-fashioned? Jesus comes on the scene and says, let's put a little life in this. 
let's start to look at the scriptures in a way that does them justice, that shows that God is alive, that God is here. Let's start to read them with new eyes and new teaching. What is this? A new teaching and with authority. We can believe this man because he's teaching with authority. Well, let's talk about what that means to have authority. Because contrary to this, Jesus' authority as demonstrated here is very different from the authority that the religious teachers had. See, I'm I'm a religious teacher. My authority comes from the Bible. My authority comes from my ability to interpret Scripture. My authority comes from Jesus himself. Do you see where I'm going with this? My authority comes from Jesus, and Jesus is standing there in front of the congregation, the man whom our authority is based. Because here's the contrast that Mark has set up. Here's the contrast in our lives that we have churches and we have officials and we have leaders who are going to preach to us and teach us and we're going to read books and we're going to listen to sermons and we're going to sing songs and those are great and they're all interpretation of the scripture. Jesus doesn't need to interpret the scripture because he's the living embodiment of the scripture. He teaches with a direct authority, not relying on the endorsement or the establishment of rabbinical sources. He's not relying on religion to boost him up. He's standing in front of the congregation and saying, these are great, these teachers are great, they're doing good things for us, but come and hear what God has to say to you. This was revolutionary, and it was so surprising to the audience that was gathered there. Now, the word, let's, let's go down a little Greek nerd rabbit hole for a second, okay? Because you know I'm good for that. The Greek word for authority is exousia, and it's two words combined. The word ex, which we get out of. That's the word out of. And then the word usia, which is the word for to be, being, out of body. The word suggests that authority or power that emerges from the essence out of the being of something. The word authority here, exousia, means it's coming from out of his essence, out of who he is, and out of body. His being is the authority. The religious leaders cannot claim to have authority. It's not coming out of them. One who has authority, the people are looking at this and saying, it's coming out of him. It's not coming out of the word. It's not coming out of the scriptures. It's not coming from the prophets. We sang throne room this morning, which is a beautiful description of Isaiah, a picture that these synagogue goers would have known. It's not, his authority is not coming from that picture, from his ability to interpret that story. It's almost as if his authority is coming directly from who he is. He doesn't have to say a word. 
that can be who he is without doing anything. It emanates from his very nature and being. It's not just conferred or acquired. It's not just that he went to college and he got all this knowledge. It's his very divine nature itself that lends to his authority. And this divine authority surpasses the derived authority of the scribes and Pharisees. Ultimately, what Jesus teaches is not a transactional knowledge, but it's the embodiment of authority. Embodiment is such the key there because Jesus cannot have authority unless he's the embodiment of God. Jesus can't just be another guy who comes and shows us the scriptures. He can't just be another guy who says, these are the prophecies. This is what you can expect from God. He just can't be another guy who says his mind when it comes to interpreting the scriptures. Jesus isn't just another guy. For Mark, Jesus teaches with authority and power. And he's not just one choice teacher among a lot of really good teachers out there. Mark doesn't need to prove that he came from the manger. Mark starts us here because he says he is the embodiment of authority. We don't need to start him in the manger because here is where he's showing himself to be true. Here's where he's showing himself and revealing himself. And if you can't see it, the demons can see it. If you can't see it, the unpure, the evil spirits that lurk in this man, they recognize it before the people in the synagogue do. He is the one teacher whose life is stamped with the divine seal of God. For Mark, Jesus teaches by his actions as much as his words. He's not just some visiting lecturer or a substitute teacher, someone whom you listen to and then decide later if you can endorse what he's saying. And we do that in our churches and with our, our pastors all the time. Do I believe, do I agree with what they're saying? Do I think that they're on the right track? Is what I hear them saying something that is fulfilling in my self as well. That's why there's so many churches for so many people. Because we have interpretations of, of predestination. We have interpretations of, of what hell might look like. We have interpretations of what day of the week we should meet on. We have no authority. We have no authority on any of these answers. But Jesus does. And this was revolutionary to them. Jesus is someone to, to follow. And in following, you will listen and see teaching that will transform your life. Teaching with authority and power, that exousia. And throughout the gospel, you see that, especially in this passage, questions of authority and power are essential. And they're central to all of the Gospels. That's why the Gospels are revealing of Jesus at work. And so we have the first half of this verse, of this passage, but we have the second half because the teaching is not enough, right? 
The synagogue leaders were teaching. And so Jesus says, you know what? We're not just going to teach anymore. If I'm going to reveal myself as God, if I'm going to reveal myself as authority, we're going to need to actually do something here. We're going to need to actually show And so what does Mark do? He shows that a miracle has occurred here. And a lot of times we get confused about miracles in our modern day society. And you can believe or trust what you want. But I believe the Spirit works in whatever way the Spirit wants to work. And we might not see axes floating on the water. We might not see those types of miracles. But I believe miracles still happen today. I believe that miracles are a gift from God. I believe that miracles are a way that show God is here and that the things that are going on around us, things that we can't explain, things that sometimes are better left up to God in the first place. Jesus is here at the very beginning of Mark proclaiming that we can do them. We can see them. We can see God move and work. The reaction of the people in the synagogue, though, when that happens is one of amazement. And it reflects how Jesus' authority was perceived as radically different. And so this reaction highlights not only the novelty of Jesus' authoritative approach, but also his deep impact and resonance that his teaching had with the common people. And it really contrasted that legalistic style of the scribes. And often that distant, hands-off approach that they had. How they were much holier and mightier than the people around them. That as a priest, we needed to stay pure and clean and we couldn't, you know, go with the common folk, dwell among them. We couldn't be a shepherd. And as we know, if you're going to be a shepherd, you're going to start to smell like sheep after a while. A priest couldn't do that. A priest had to stay away. The teachings of the scribes could be dry and and heavily burdened with rules and sometimes lacking in the ability to deeply impact the listener's life. But in contrast, Jesus' teachings were dynamic and relevant and life-giving and challenged the status quo and begged us to look at the scriptures again and said, Just don't work off the tradition. Just don't work off the way that things are going. Go and really interpret them in your own lives and see what they mean to you. It called for inner transformation. Jesus' teachings revealed a profound spiritual insight that the teachers of the law lacked. Jesus could go deeper and farther than any of those teachers could. He spoke not just as a teacher of the law, but as one who had intimate knowledge of God's character and purpose for creation. Jesus' teachings were empowering and aimed at liberating people from such burdens. By teaching with such authority, Jesus implicitly challenges the established authority structures within Judaism. And this always, of course, sets the stage for confrontations with those religious leaders who said, no, 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 you can't do this. 
You're supposed to come to the synagogue and sit there, and we're going to tell you what it means, and then you go and apply it to your lives, and then you're going to make that central in everything that you do. This is supposed to keep you oppressed. It's supposed to keep you burdened. It's supposed to keep you feeling like you're small and insignificant compared to God. Well, now God has come to live among you. God has come to smell like sheep for a little bit. You see, magic produces amazement, but amazement is not faith. We can see a magic trick and we can be filled with awe. How did he make the Statue of Liberty disappear? How did he walk through the Great Wall of China? That's David Copperfield. He's great. We are in amazement of that, but I don't have any faith in a magician. How did he do that? That was amazing. And that's what the people there are standing and looking at Jesus like. How did you do that? I didn't know that could be done. What is this new thing that's happening here? Who is this prophet that even the demons can see him, that even the unclean spirits recognize him? (laughs) Well, we don't recognize him. We're just gobsmacked that this happened. We're not going to call him the son of God yet. We want to see if he can do some more magic for us. We're going to follow him around and see if there can be amazing things. And that's what Jesus did. He performed more miracles. This is the first of the three in Mark 1. More miracles got more people interested. But it wasn't just the amazement part. It was Jesus saying, hey, you know what? This is a sign of God. This is truly who I am. And now you can listen to me. Now you will listen to me because you have seen what I can do. Mark calls his audience not to amazement over the wonder-working deeds of Jesus, but to a faith in the one who has already won the battle over these forces of evil. Such a miracle comes here in the form of Jesus' teaching. He just speaks, and he has authority. The healing word Jesus speaks, like the words he has spoken in the synagogue, cause things to happen. His words, his teaching, his voice, his life, it's powerful, it's performative, it's guiding and inspiring. It's not heavy, it's not burdensome, but it doesn't just lead to amazement, it leads to faith, it leads to transformation, because we hear the teachings of God, we hear the teachings of Christ And we are not just filled with amazement, but we're filled with faith and transformation. And if we're not listening to the words of God, if we're listening to our preacher, or we're listening to some interpreter of the law, or we're listening to some great popular book that we're into, we're not listening to the words of Jesus. We're listening to the things that have come before us and before us and before us and before us. And that might lead to amazement, but it's not the only step we need to take. Jesus has not only the authority over the words and the law, but he has the authority over all the spiritual realm. The episode of casting out an unclean spirit, it illustrates Jesus' authority even to a further extent. 
Now, in first century Judaism, exorcism was not uncommon. The exorcism was not unusual. That was not the unusual part of it. But it usually involved rituals or invoking the names of God or angels. <laughs> Jesus didn't have to invoke that. The exorcism happened without having any extra authority behind it. Jesus just spoke and it happened. He commands the unclean spirit by his own authority. That's the astonishing part. It's not the magic trick. It's not the spirit leaving the man in the first place. The astonishing part is that Jesus doesn't have to call on anyone else to do it. He doesn't have to open his Bible. He doesn't have to open his spell book. He doesn't have to send away for the magic wand. Jesus does what he does on his own authority, not relying on anything else. And so what do we see? That Jesus' authority brings liberation. Jesus brings liberation of all of these things that hold us back, all of these things that are a burden to us, all of these things that are destructive in our midst. Jesus says, let's get rid of them. Let's speak into your life. Let's listen to my teachings. Let's listen to the way God has intended us to be. And let's see how freeing that becomes in our lives. Let's see how much we want to hold on to when Jesus comes in and says, let's release some things. It's under my authority that we can release these things. Jesus speaks the word and the man is liberated. It, gem it demonstrates that Jesus' authority is not oppressive, but liberating and life-giving. I want to focus on three things that we learn about God and Jesus through miracles. And all of these are life-giving. All of these are liberating. All of these are, let's see more of God in my life. If we were just in the scriptures, if we were just reading the rules, if we were just looking for the boundary lines that people need to cross in order to become a Christian, those are burdensome to us. And so we instead focus on what gives life, what liberates, what frees people from oppression. The first thing that we notice is that God is directly interested in people. God comes down and gets in the mud with us. God cares intimately about his creation. God doesn't want to be hands off. God doesn't want to push us away but he comes close to us. Jesus showed interest, care, and love for the humans he came to seek out and save. God's care is crystallized in the establishment of God's kingdom. In Jesus Christ, who, as the kingdom himself, acts, enacts the mind and heart of God through the gospel stories. Nowhere does the flame of love for humans burn brighter than in the miracle stories. There are 16 miracles in Mark. And they show that God is directly interested in his people and healing them and bringing them back and displaying his power. We also see that God is at our side. 
God is here with us. That all that causes suffering to us is painful and alien. It is not from God. I, I, I love this line. God must be testing me. If you're suffering, if you're in pain, that does not come from God. God is at our side through suffering and pain. And he's saying, let's see what we can do to come out the other side. Let's see how we can both handle this together. God doesn't reach his finger down and say, you know what? You're in a car accident today. I think that would be fun. You know what? You've got some health issues today. I think that would be fun. You know what? You've lost your job today. I think that would be fun. That is tradition. That is what's been passed down. That is our warped sense of who God is and the justice and the love and mercy and care for his people. Jesus is at our side. And anytime we suffer, that suffering is not from God. It's from the world. That's from sin and evil things that happen. And Jesus is at our side. Jesus and God, God through Jesus enters into our suffering. Jesus shows that the unclean spirits need to be rid of in our lives. It's against the force of God. It's against his great shalom. It robs us of life and oppresses us. And here's another thing that miracles do. Jesus, through miracles, conveys God's free grace. All the healing miracles are acts of Jesus' love and care and the free grace he came to bring to the world. John 1, 14 says, Jesus was full of grace and truth. This grace was offered freely as Jesus healed persons in body and soul. This free grace given in Jesus underlies all our efforts to heal and bring relief to those who suffer. We love because he first loved us. Jesus' word of authority and action and healing can continue today through the church's proclamation and enacting the kingdom of God that Jesus brought and is still. A proclamation of love and grace and hope that is given freely to all people. Jesus' authority brings liberation. And we need to recognize in our own lives how submitting to Jesus' authority can bring liberation to us as well. That submitting to Jesus in our lives and in our family, submitting to his teachings and who he is and listening to his voice in every circumstance can liberate our cities and our nations and our planet. There are society and systemic evils in our world. And we might think of those as the unclean spirits in this story. But it could be viewed as systemic injustice and oppression. And the power of Christ compels us to confront these things in society. Or maybe it's manifesting in our lives as psychological struggles that unclean spirits might be a representation of mental health issues like depression or anxiety. 
Jesus encompasses all of those things, mental and emotional health and healing. Jesus isn't a self-help guru. He is one who teaches with authority and love and grace and says, let's get rid of all of these things that rob us of a life of liberation. Let's get rid of all these things that rob us of a life that God intended for us. We can view these unclean spirits as personal struggles or life challenges, such as addiction or unhealthy relationships or personal crisis. The narrative of Jesus' authority over unclean spirits assures believers of his power to aid them in overcoming personal battles because Jesus is real and he wants to come near us, that God is with us through these struggles. Okay, you're not dealing with any of those things. That's fine. I don't have any unclean spirits. What about these moments of spiritual dryness? What about moments of of faith crisis? when an unclean spirit might be understood as a state of dryness or doubt or crisis of faith. We need to rely on Jesus' authority and presence to restore spiritual vitality. We feel a little bit mm, just closed in and dry and not really feeling alive. That maybe God hasn't come near us in a while. That's an unclean spirit that lives in our lives. Anything spiritual or emotional or physical, we need to take to Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus' authority to use all of these things to bring liberation in our lives, to live how God intended us to live, but not to live in fear of what's around the next corner, not to live in desperation from one crisis to the next, not to live in a moment of spiritual dryness. Because those are moments that God is saying, let's see how we can get through this together. His authority is not only something to be acknowledged, but it's the source of guidance and peace and liberation. We just don't want to stand there and say, oh yeah, Jesus, he's a good teacher. Oh yeah, he's the son of God. Oh yeah, he's this great and powerful We just don't want to acknowledge it. We want to live it out. It's not just in the teaching, but it's also in the doing. There's a transformative power of embracing Jesus' authority in both our personal lives and in the community. And it's through both teaching and through doing. 